Welcome to Don't Punt to Geo on the Tar Heel Blog Podcast, hosted by TarHeelBlog.com and the good folks at SBNation.com. As evidenced by the show title, we're talking some football tonight. My name is Chad Floyd, and I'm joined by one of our two West Coast Jakes, this time Jacob Calvin. Jacob, how are you, my man? I'm good. It's uh, nice and early where I'm at, so just loving life. I love it. Yeah, I've still got the sun out where I am, but... uh with that, I think I just mentioned on Twitter that I had to scramble and get some Taco Bell on the way home if I was planning on eating before the podcast tonight. Um, that's going to make this a little bit interesting, I think, but we will try to scramble through it. Yeah, um, I'm so excited. Jacob, I got my notes pulled up. I love talking football, so. Perfect. And I've, I've got a, I got the Athon magazine open. I've got the. 2018 passer rating uh, leaderboard up because tonight we're going to talk about the article you ran on TarHillBlog.com on Friday. You ranked the quarterbacks that UNC is going to play this year, and I thought it was an interesting uh, way to start getting familiar with the rosters. And given that I end up writing previews on all these teams, it's a nice little head start for me. So I was excited to have you on, and we can just debate your list a little bit, uh, go from the bottom to the top. That sound good? Sounds good to me, yeah. Yeah, well, um, you had it number 12, Mercer's quarterback. Uh, I do not have his name pulled up. Let's see here. But Robert, it's Mercer's quarterback. Robert Riddle, Riddle is his name. And I love the fact that uh, in your post, it's a picture of him looking like he's probably throwing a wounded duck as he gets hit by a Memphis defender. <laughs> um, yeah, that was the only pick ahead. I could find in – even watching film of him, it was really like just his high school tape, like from Mercer's like commitment video they tweeted out. So hard to do some research on him, but. Yeah. And I mean, Mercer's, you know, a solid six or seven win FCS program uh, these days. So, you know, I, I don't really know if we need to take it in too much detail because that should be the typical UNC 66 to 10 over FBS win. So I'd say let's move on to number 11. You have Kenny Pickett at Pitt, uh, ACC Coastal Champion Kenny Pickett at Pitt. Um, a guy who in his first collegiate start beat Miami when they were undefeated and ranked number two in the country. This is a little surprising that you have him this low. Yeah, for me, I wanted, I started out like preconception had him high on the list. It's just the, the film I watched didn't match the resume and he does have a really good resume. Coastal champ beat Miami. Um, he just seems skittish. I wrote a little bit, but just skittish and, and nervous, honestly, every time I watched him list. So that's why I had him so low compared to everybody else. Yeah, and he's he's a guy, I mean, averaged uh, 6.4 yards per uh, attempt, uh, only 58% completion rate, uh, 1,969 yards. He was definitely unspectacular as – Pitt kind of rode Darren Hall and Quadriolison to the eight, to the uh, championship game. Um, I guess I was surprised that you had him this low. I had uh, the next guy on your list at number 11, but I had Pickett at number 10 after looking at it. Um, I, I think the overall theme here is that UNC is playing a deep crop of quarterbacks this year. Would you agree with that? Yeah, because Pickett wasn't bad. It's just I felt like everybody else had a, at least one trait that I could point to. Where with Pickett, there wasn't one thing that stood out to me is why I had him so low. But you had uh, Tobias Oliver at 11 from Georgia Tech, it sounds like. Um, I did. 
I did, and and that's just a factor of I don't think he'll end up being starter at quarterback for Georgia Tech um, as they switch to a more traditional offense. Yeah, that but, mean, um, I didn't know what to do with him. I just his athleticism, even with the question mark, is what put it over Pickett. But um, I honestly spent more time near the top than than at those two ten and eleven. And that makes perfect sense. Um, you know, with Pickett, I mean, he's down at uh, 91st overall in passer rating. Uh, Oliver, obviously, given how few passes he threw, did not make this list. But Pickett is surrounded by names such as Chase Garbers of Cal fame, who was a freshman last year. Um, Holt Naylor's at ECU, who was a freshman as well. Kansas's quarterback, New Mexico State's freshman quarterback. Um, Nick Fitzgerald of Mississippi State, who was abjectly terrible in what should have been their best season ever. So I think your pick of Pickett at 11 is fair. With, uh, with Georgia Tech, I expect them to roll out a true freshman, be it uh, Jordan Yates or Demetrius Knight. Um, neither one of them too highly ranked, but I think they would probably finish a little bit behind Pickett when all was said and done. Yeah, I mean, if they do roll the true freshman, I think definitely. I um, And one thing I know is that none of the quarterbacks – other than those two freshmen were recruited to run a, a spread offense or anything other than the triple option. So Georgia, I guess I took a question mark to Georgia tech over what I know I dislike out of Pickett's quarterback play, but yeah, I, I think you could put Georgia tech behind Mercer on this list, just from the fact that they have a returning quarterback and Georgia tech with an offensive line that's transitioning from the triple to whatever they run under Jeff Collins. I think that's going to be, I mean, they are the year zeroist of year zeros uh, as far as the transition. And, you know, I think I've said on this podcast a few times, I love what Jeff Collins is doing, but they've got a ways to go. Yeah, I'm actually excited to see what he does, but it is a at least three or four-year project, I think, where, you know, Mac Brown's not really starting over, just kind of, you know, adjusting it and changing a few things. But he's, like, Jeff Collins is changing literally the entire program, so he's I think they're three or four years away, but I'm excited to see what Georgia Tech is going to do in the future. A little bit less excited, and I, and I like that Brown is not starting completely from scratch because Georgia Tech has a chance to be a pretty solid program in the uh, ACC Coastal moving forward as opposed to just a thorn in the side that will occasionally catch lightning in a bottle and win the Coastal, which, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to long for the days of Paul Johnson already. So let's get to that Georgia Tech game and come back to me on that one. As as we break into the single digits here, you and I agree on number nine. Um, I have whoever starts at state, and you have Matt McKay, younger guy. Well, I, I think he's a redshirt sophomore, but uh, between he and uh, redshirt freshman Devin Leary, they've got a couple guys. And then Florida State transfer Bailey Hockman, who I remember UNC really wanting in his cycle. Um. What's the justification for having state skies so low? Because Ryan Finley was quite good, and Jacoby uh, Brissett, I wanted to say Jacoby Criswell, UNC commit, um, Jacoby Brissett was quite good before that. Yeah, everyone else on the list except for number eight for me, um, so right above state, is the returning starter is, is probably why I have them so high. So with states with Matt McKay, the guy I put on the list for North Carolina State, it's really just their spring game and his spot duty backing up Ryan Finley last year. So I didn't really have a lot to go off of. I did like McKay, his deep 
touch on his passes and also his, his pocket presence just seems like he's in control. So I was really impressed by him, but there just wasn't a lot to go off of. And everyone else, even Duke's backup, Quentin Harris, who's the projected starter, um, he he almost had 500 passing yards last year. So it came down to experience and film more than anything else, I think. Yeah, and they all will be adjusting to a new uh, – well, I mean, I guess they're going to try to keep some uh, continuity promoting Dwayne Ledford uh, to co-OC. Um, ask Larry Fedora how promoting guys from within uh, to co-OC goes. But they lost Eli Drinkwitz to uh, App State, which we will get to on this list. And they also lost a ton of playmakers. Uh, Kelvin Harmon's gone. Reggie Gillespie's gone. So State's got a lot to replace. I think they're losing uh, three starters on the offensive line. So it's not as dire as the Georgia Tech situation, but they are kind of having a regime shift here. So I hope State's quarterback is the ninth best quarterback on this list. Yeah, and I thought last year State underwhelmed. I thought they should have been, you know, they weren't going to win the division with Clemson, but they should have been a lot better than they were last year with Finley, um, all the talent they had that they lost. So I think it'll be a rebuilding year for sure. Um, so yeah, I think, I think even if McKay's not the starter by the end of the year, if they go with Leary or someone else, I think it's not going to be a, it's definitely not going to be Ryan Finley as like they had last year. I agree. I agree. And at number eight, you have uh, Quentin Harris at Duke, who you just mentioned. Um, is he going to be better than Daniel Jones was last year? Well, I am probably the most negative Daniel Jones person that I that I know. But I think they'll probably be about the same. I think the thing with Harris that I have an issue with is he, if he makes it to his second read, that that's a win. He just has such a tendency to tuck it and. He even got more playing time than than a normal backup, so he had some actual in-game experience. So if Cutliffe can work his, you know, his famed QB magic and get him to go through his progressions, then I think he has the ability. He has a higher ceiling because of the athleticism, but um, that's a big hurdle to now go from actually going through your progressions instead of just one, two, and tuck it, which is his biggest, the biggest opportunity area I saw watching him. Yeah, a uh, guy who completed 50% of his passes last year, uh, seven touchdowns to a pick. So, you know, he does tuck it as opposed to throwing into traffic. So that will at least limit the downside a little bit. I had Harris a little bit higher on, on the board here. I had him at number six. Um, with Cutcliffe quarterbacks, and you mentioned the quarterback magic, and I'm glad you did. I always find that, uh, you know, his big names underperform a little bit. And then the guys, Anthony Boone comes to mind. Another one whose name escapes me after the Thaddeus Lewis era, uh, Sean Renfrey, I believe. You know, he, he tends to have guys kind of overperform when you don't really expect them to and then underperform when you say, man, this guy's a dark horse Heisman contender. So, um, I guess I'm a little bit higher on Harris just because I can see him exceeding expectations. Yeah. Maybe with the full offseason where he's a starter. You know, I think he definitely can work on all those things. It's just, I guess I was just turned off by by the lack of progression. But, you know, he's got the arm. He's got the athleticism. So he has all the tools. So he definitely can can be top, you know, five, six out of the, the quarterbacks Carolina's facing. Definitely one of the more unique ones that they're going to have to prepare for when they play him. Agreed. I mean, he, he's a guy who definitely wants to run as quickly as he can, you know, if his primary read's not there. And, Given that he's a fifth-year senior in Cutcliffe's system, we'll see, like you said, if that changes after a spring as the number one guy. 
Number six, or number seven, sorry. You have Ryan Willis at Virginia Tech. Yeah, and I, I flip-flopped on Willis. I actually thought, you know, Josh Jackson, the, the quarterback who transferred to Maryland, was a lot better than him. I came in, you know, with a conception that I was going to put Willis, you know, top five-ish in that range. But, you know, all the quarterbacks I put ahead of him, I just, there was, again, a trait that I liked. With Willis, same thing with Pickett. You know, I he feel like he did a lot of stuff right within the offense, but when it came to, you know, added value or expected added, adding value to, like, I just feel like he's an average quarterback. You know, I feel like his war, I don't have the actual number of this, but, like, <laughs> his wins above replacement would probably be pretty average just because he doesn't do anything spectacular other than what he's asked of in the offense. Yeah, I mean, he was right in the middle in passer rating, uh, finishing 51st, but did throw for seven and a half yards in attempt, uh, ran for three yards a carry. I actually had Willis a good bit higher because I thought he dragged them kicking and screaming to a bowl game. Um, the, the end of that Virginia game, as bad as Virginia choked on that one, you know, Willis kind of stole the show with his poise and stealing a couple of first downs on third down scrambles and hitting a couple of deep balls. I actually have him third on my list. Third, wow. See, I at one point I had him third. I did a bunch of shuffling on mine, yeah. but he uh and again, like he, I guess doing everything within the offense is if that's my biggest complaint, that's not too bad. You know, and I, he has the arm strength, he's more athletic. I think he had like a forty yard touchdown run um against North Carolina. And I was watching that and the defensive end really screwed the pooch on that that RPO option play, but um, you know, he's athletic enough. Yeah, you said he averaged three yards a carry. So he has, again, not as many tools or athleticism as, as Quentin Harris does, but when he puts it together, he's good. It's just nothing stood out to me is why I couldn't put him top, top five range for me. Well, let me ask you this. Does the fact that he has former Kansas quarterback on his resume, uh, skew your ranking of him downward? Um, <laughs> I mean, I should put him up where for getting out of Kansas, you know, get creativity points. Well, he, he was there in the first place. So I think, uh, in anything that you would give him credit for, you would also have to say, well, decision making is a negative because you went to Kansas when. Yeah, that's I true. Mean, I feel like, that, you know, Juco is a better option than Kansas as far as recruiting. Yeah. But, you know, hey. Well, I mean. You know, he got there. Whatever gets you point A to point B, right? Hey, I mean, North Dakota State might have been a better recruiting option than Kansas. They put guys in the NFL. Yeah, they've had the last two quarterbacks drafted. I forgot where Easton Stick went, but I think it was fifth or sixth rounder this year. Let's see here. We can look that up right quick. He was drafted by the Chargers. So possible Phillip Rivers replacement being groomed right there. Fifth rounder. So, yeah, maybe. But yeah. I feel like Ryan Willis was probably better than Easton Stick. So you never know. So you put uh, Ryan no Willis in Fargo and you got a dynasty on your well, to be fair, North Dakota State already kind of has a dynasty anyway, but the Ryan Willis hype would be just out of this world this year. We'd be talking about him as a second-round pick, and he'd end up going number two overall and uh, winning a Super Bowl with a torn ACL. Yeah, so decision-making, I'm, I'm going to grade him down. I'll, I'll agree with you on, at, at seven. Tate Martell, already my least favorite player in the last 10 years in the ACC, checks in at number six on your list. He's a classic I, I Miami it. player, though. You have to give him credit for that. He's very on brand. Yeah, and there is definitely a situation in which he gets his ass dragged up and down the field by Florida's defense. 
uh, in week zero. And then Miami has a, another week before they come to North Carolina to open the ACC slate. And I don't know if Nikosi Perry is not going to be in that job by week two. See, I think I was watching actually today the Virginia Miami game from last year. And the first series I was watching Perry is like, Oh, you know, this isn't as bad as I remembered. And then after that, it just went down. He's just inaccurate is the only word for with me for Perry. So I think Martel's going to be sporadic. And then yeah, Florida's probably going to, going to beat him pretty good, but, um, at least he's an accurate passer. You know what I mean? So like with Perry, that was my biggest thing. Like that's why I didn't even, that's why I put Martel as a starter over Perry. Is because watching Perry, and it's not just the Virginia game, but it's like all of last year. It's just he missed guys by like four or five feet a lot of the time. Not every time, but especially on like deeper throws or throws over the middle, it's just hard for him to connect with his guys. Yeah, Perry was not a good fit for Mark Rick's pro-style offense. You know, that does, like you said, emphasize the vertical passing game and a lot of play action and stuff. I'm not quite sure what... um Miami's going to run under uh, Dan Enos as the offensive coordinator, who's still there, but I think they're going to open it up a little bit with uh, Manny Diaz's supreme confidence in his defense. For what it's worth, Perry was dead last among qualified passers um, and passer rating last year, so your concerns are definitely warranted. And let, we can talk about the upside with uh, Martell a little bit because what I wrote next to him, putting him at number five, I said, Big time hedge could be number two, could be number 11. You know, he, he's a guy that's going to pick up tough yardage in third and medium situations and probably frustrate the hell out of us on September 7th in that regard. He's a guy that had huge recruiting rankings. Um, Urban Meyer forced him into the offense a little bit as a change of pace uh, at Ohio State. He's a guy that has real talent. I just don't know if he has it between the years. Do you have? Any more thoughts on that, or is that just kind of a wait and see for you as well? No, yeah, it's all with Martell. It's all talent. And, you know, watching his, his Ohio State tape, which, you know, a lot of that was just spot backup duty, but he's he is extremely talented. We're talking pure talent. He's probably top three on the list, but, you know, decision-making is questionable. Lack of – he hasn't played in any meaningful games. Um so I guess it comes down to that, like just seeing him in like an actual important game. That Florida game, I'm really, really excited to watch because of that. But yeah, everything you said, I'm on board with. Yeah, I'm excited to watch that Florida game because it is, you know, it's not Colorado State versus New Mexico State in week zero. It's an actual game with some stakes right there off the bat. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm excited for sure. Yeah. Um, I think we're getting to the part where our lists are going to differ a little bit because we're in, uh, I think we're in top five right now. We are in top five and I had Wake Forest quarterback down at, uh, number eight. His name is Sam Hartman. Uh, he was a true freshman last year, broke his leg late in the season and his backup, Jamie Newman came in, led them to bowl eligibility with a three and one finish. I think this is a full-fledged quarterback controversy, and if you have two quarterbacks, do you really have any? Uh, talk me into Hartman. So the thing I love about Hartman, um, he's a true freshman. I think I just fell in love with it, his mechanics and his decision-making. He did get hurt, which is where, where Newman came in last year. But I just thought Hartman, for a true freshman, he was poised, he was accurate. 
Um, you know, not the most athletically gifted guy, but he did win the job as a true freshman, which I think says something about him as well. So, and the people I talked to at Wake Forest, I actually talked to some people for, for the Wake Forest blog at SB Nation, and they said it's, it's a 50-50 quarterback battle. Um, but I think Hartman won it last year and he's going to win it this year as well is why I put, put him at, at number five on my list and also as this projected starter. And Wake does run at the highest tempo in the country, at least last year. So whoever is the guy is going to have a chance to put up some numbers on a tired defense, at least theoretically. I, you know, with, with them losing, um, oh man, what's his name? With them losing Greg Dortch, who was far and away their most targeted guy. I mean, he, he got something crazy like 38% of targets last year. I think it's uh, good for UNC to catch Wake Forest early where they have not established that uh, new go-to threat. And they've got guys like Sage Surratt and others that could step into that role pretty seamlessly. But I think uh, whoever Carolina plays at Wake, be it Hartman or Newman, is going to be a little bit less efficient than he might be in, say, October or November. Yeah, no, I think the schedule, and I, I still think that Wake Forest as a non-conference is one of the weirder things about college football. So, um, I actually wrote about that in my my preview a bit ago, but yeah, no, I agree there. Everything you said on that, um, and I think there's going to be some growing pains. So playing them early, earlier the better. So I think that's a game Carolina win. But I think people who haven't watched Wake Forest, I think both of the quarterbacks are better than you'd expect a Wake quarterback to be. I mean, I, th- I think you would just be surprised watching them under Dave Clawson just how much better Wake Forest is than you would expect them to be as a whole. You know, they're they're really recruiting probably top of G5 talent, but they have really coalesced and turned into kind of a painful team to get ready for for the Atlantic division, which, you know, we only see them once every six years when we play them in conference. So there is that. Yeah, they're um, you, tough. They're like you said, they're athletic. They they play fast, and you know, I, I well coached team. One of those teams that you like. In that regard, they're kind of like Utah in the Pac-12. You know, not the most talented team, but well coached, disciplined, um, do all the little things right, and they're always just a pain to prepare for. And I've I've always this is probably a little too simplistic. I've always given Virginia the Utah just simply because Bronco Mendenhall plays that punch you in the groin while you're on the ground uh, style of play so much. And speaking of Bronco Mendenhall, you have a tie for third here. So I guess I guess with that segue, we're going to talk about Bryce Perkins, who you have as 3A. Um, for the record, I have him as number two on my list. I think he's awesome. Yeah, I know. Bryce Perkins is, is sick. I was watching, that was part of the reason I was watching the Miami game to watch Perry, but as well as Bryce Perkins. Um you know, he's a true do threat, dual threat. A lot of times I feel like that's just a lazy evaluation for like saying someone's athletic, but he truly can throw and run on any play. Um, he had about 2,500 yards passing and he was just under a thousand yards as a rusher last year. Um, accounting for 34 touchdowns. So, you know, does everything well. He's such a big Virginia's offense. And I went to, to BYU is actually my alma mater. So I, do, I got to watch Bronco Mendenhall. And Robert and I's offense, you know, all through college. It's so unique in like the motion they run, the, the route concepts they have. Um, and their quarterback was at BYU is actually Taysom Hill, the Saints quarterback. So I think Taysom Hill's a bit bigger. Perkins is a bit faster, but you know, they're both those, you know, just pure athlete quarterbacks who fit well with, um, Robert and I, the offensive coordinators 
uh, offense over in um, Charlotte, Charlottesville. Yeah, and what they want to do is be more efficient than explosive. Would that would that be a fair assessment, uh, just based on your BYU history with them? Yeah, because they're not, you know, they're not like Wake Forest, or where they're like necessarily just trying to get pace, but um, everything they do is so calculated. So yeah, that's a really good, really good assessment, I think. And well, I, I appreciate the compliment there. Uh, at three <laughs> B, you have you have Zach Thomas of Appalachian State. I had him lower just based on. G5 bias basically, but the guy was the 19th rated passer in the country last year. Uh, 21 touchdowns, six picks. Um, kind, kind of a guy who does it all and probably is the type of guy that could spring a, uh, an Appalachian State upset in Chapel Hill if, uh, they play their cards right. Yeah, no, Appalachian State can definitely win, I think, when they play Carolina. And then Thomas is one of the players who I had lower on my list coming into the ranking or like, you know, preconception, but. Watching him in the the Penn State game last year, where they almost pulled that offset in Happy Valley. Watching him the Sun Belt Championship, a couple of other games. You know, he's just one of those. He's tough. One thing that stood out to me was, especially in the red zone, he was used as a runner more often than than between the twenties. So my big question mark there is, how does you know former NC State offensive coordinator Eli Drinkwitz, um, does he run more of a pro offense than, than the spread they had last year in, at Appalachian State? So I'm interested to see the offensive differences and how that affects it. But, um, yeah, I was in love with Zach Thomas. I thought he was accurate, um, good arm strength. Um, his accuracy on deep balls was, I'd say, good, not great. But other than that, I thought he did everything really well. Yeah, he, he just seems like the prototypical Scott Satterfield Appalachian State quarterback after Taylor Lamb who was there for seemingly forever, who really toughed out that game where they took Tennessee to overtime um, that, that one year when Tennessee was supposed to be really good. So I've always had a respect for what Satterfield did. And, you no, know, he did kind of build around that gritty type of quarterback, and it seems like Thomas fits that mold pretty well. Um, I, I just wasn't as high on him with the change in offense and with the fact that UNC plays some damn good quarterbacks. Yeah, no, that's what I was going through the list. Like, kind of we talked about off the bat that Oliver and Pickett are 11. I think, you know, especially Pickett more, but he's still a good quarterback. It's just, you know, there's a bunch of really talented guys that they're going to play this year, which um was fun going through and actually, like, writing and, and evaluating all those guys. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we kind of take a step back and look at last year, we probably would have had Finley, uh Daniel Jones, and maybe Josh Jackson, one, two, three. So. You know, all, all of this is very subject to change, but, you know, you mm, th- this just seems like a much deeper slate where last year's was a little bit top-heavy. Yeah, yeah, and, deep. You know, everyone, and then, except for maybe the, the bottom two guys, they all have at least, like, one or two things they do really well. They're going to make every week preparing difficult just because, you know, it's something different every week. And if nothing else, you know, while you do have film on them, they also do have the experience of facing live bullets in, in the college game, and that, you know, more than offsets having film on a guy. Um, Jake Bentley of South Carolina, you have him at number two on the list. I had him behind Perkins and Willis, so he, he, he came in fourth on my list, but his numbers are more impressive than you would think, and your comparison to Jake Browning was great. I want you to go into that a little bit. Yeah, so Bentley is a guy who came to Columbia, you know, right out of – he actually left his senior year of high school. So he was there his freshman year. He should have been a senior. He hasn't been a four-year starter because of injuries, but he's basically 
been the guy at South Carolina for the, this will be his senior year. And the comparison to Jake Browning, the Washington quarterback, um, you know, Jake Browning, by the way, I live in, uh, Arizona, so Pac-12 country, so I hear a lot of this. Um, there was a lot of quarterback fatigue around Jake Browning in, in Seattle last year because they thought, you know, it wasn't that good. He was holding the team back. Um, and really look at the, it's hard because the sophomore year, we won the, he won the Pac-12 and then went to the playoffs. So you, everyone's like, oh, well, he has to do that every year. And because yeah, yeah, they the didn't, they went to the, the festival one year and then last year they went to the Rose Bowl. There's a lot of, oh, Jake Browning declining. Jake Browning's not as good. And he did have a, a bit of a drop from his sophomore to junior year in his numbers. But, you know, he left Washington as the winningest quarterback of all time. Um, ro- went playoff in the Cotton Bowl, then ro- Fiesta Bowl, then Rolls Bowl three years in a row, even though they, they lost those games. Um, that's a run that Washington hadn't had for years. I don't know if they've ever had three, you know, quote unquote BCS Bowls back to back like that. So, in Columbia, in South Carolina, I hear a lot of fans complaining about Jake Bentley, um, his shortcomings. And a lot of that's true. You know, he does have too many turnovers. But, you know, the guy's a winner. He's been on the field a lot, um, a ton of experience. Like, when I'm watching him, what I noticed was just a lot of little things. He does really well either with his eyes or, um, you know, pre-snap stuff that he does really well. So that was the, the Jake Browning comparison. I think fan base is when you've been around a lot as a quarterback and you haven't won, you know, Washington, they didn't win the playoff game in South Carolina. They haven't won the SEC East. You can get a little sick of it. And I think it's easy to blame it on a quarterback who's been there a while, even though I think Bentley is, you know, um, he's not the best player on the team or anything like that, but I think he's better than um, his reputation is. Yeah. He's far from the problem. No, throwing for eight and a half yards per attempt, but you did set, you did mention the turnovers. Uh, you threw 14 picks last year. Um, maybe a guy who could have used that extra year of high school seasoning because he still does trust his arm a little bit too much, but a guy who, you know, w- when he has time and when he is, you know, ha- has the ability to, to scan the field, he puts up numbers and is a very well above average quarterback. I I put the two Virginia guys a little bit higher than him just because he is a little turnover prone. Um there there was great rejoicing when he was replaced for a game in October last year by South Carolina fans, but you know, South Carolina fans do have a little bit of that crazy streak like our brethren at NC State or Virginia Tech or Auburn or where where have you. Um so you know he he could have a breakout senior season, I guess, is what I I might get to. Yeah, I think definitely. And then he lost uh, his number one guy, Debo Samuel, who um, second round pick to the San Francisco 49ers. So you know he does lose some talent, but yeah, like you said, he's far from the problem in, in Columbia. Um, I think I put him at number two, banking on the cutting down the turnovers, which I guess is a, a big leap for me. I don't know if I should have. Just assumed he's going to cut those down to at least single digits, but um, I don't have a problem putting Bryce Perkins ahead of him, the Virginia quarterback. But um, yeah, I think he's definitely top three. And the South Carolina game—I don't know how many North Carolina fans watch South Carolina a whole lot, but um, they're a fun team to watch. I really like watching their offense. They're 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 pro style offense, but they do some RPO concepts in there, so that's going to be a really fun game. Yeah, and Bentley might not cut down too markedly on the turnovers this year because they have Georgia and Clemson on the schedule as they usually do. And then 
Alabama is their rotating SEC West opponent, and Texas A&M is still their permanent one. So you're looking at probably four top 10 to 12 teams right there off the bat, and literally the top three in the country. So my, my heart goes out to you, Jake Browning. I hope you suffer your first loss in August, and it's all downhill from there. Yeah. Yeah, schedule's um, up, but. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of fun to look at, though, because that's just a murderer's row. It'd be a great year to have South Carolina season tickets, though. It would be. Get some good good teams in there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's any shock as to who number one on this list would be because he's probably the best quarterback prospect in the last 20 years. And I really don't yeah. think that's hyperbole when I say that. His name is Trevor Yeah, Lawrence. since Peyton Manning he's, probably, right? I, I would say since uh, Peyton for sure. And, I mean, I, I think our perceptions of Peyton Manning are maybe a little bit skewed downward at this point because we saw him with the noodle arm win a Super Bowl. But – Trevor Lawrence is just incredible. And if there was a space to put him higher than one on this list, we would. He's going to put up some numbers. Um, I think he's probably going to win the Heisman this year. Yeah, as good as advertised. I want, I didn't know if I should put like a gap between Lawrence and it's just not fair to have him in the same list as everyone else. You know, arm strength. Is, I didn't even know what to write. Just his arm strength, his, ac- his accuracy, his poise, everything, you know, everything's already been said and everything's true about just how good this guy is. Yeah. If, if anything is a detriment for him, it's probably his toughness in that he tries to do a little bit too much with his legs and that got him knocked out of the Syracuse game when they almost lost, uh, the upset in Death Valley last year. But if that's the only complaint you can have about a true freshman quarterback, he's going to be a problem. Um, I mean, just just go watch what he did to Alabama. It, it was incredible. Yeah, no, he he's unbelievable, and that that Syracuse game was was crazy last year. Um, how that went down. But I came into last year thinking, you know, on the Kelly Bryant bandwagon, thinking, you know, he needs to be the starter. He's the one with the experience, and then. Trevor Lawrence comes in, and I was like, oh, I guess I was wrong. Like, yeah, I've just, I was just assuming because he's a true freshman, no matter how talented you are, you know, you can't make up for the experience Kelly Bryan had going undefeated, playing in the playoffs against Alabama. And, and Lawrence is just so talented and, and poised. He proved me 100, 1000% wrong. Yeah. For me, I thought Bryant was the piece holding Clemson back. You know, they, they, they just, uh, got by with, more of an efficient offense, which was not really Clemson's MO with Taj Boyd and Deshaun Watson. You know, they, they were obviously efficient with them, but they also had the big play ability that Bryant really just could not push the ball down the field, um, was inaccurate on short passes. And when you have T Higgins and Justin Ross and guys like that, you need to get them the ball in space. But just looking at how Travis Etienne exploded once Trevor Lawrence became the full-time starter kind of tells you everything you need to know. You know, all, all of a sudden defenses had to respect the fact that somebody could take the top off of their defense with his arm, and that opened up lanes for Etienne. And Etienne would probably be in my top five if I had to make a way-too-early Heisman ballot right now. Yeah, I thought last year that he was one of the, the most underrated players in the country, and then he blew up in the second half of the season. Um, yeah, I don't think he's one of those running backs who just does so many things, really everything well. Pass blocking, he's a route runner. 
um, you know, can run his space. We saw, I think it was their first touchdown, maybe the second touchdown in the national championship game, but that 20 something, um, yard run by Etienne was, was really impressive. So yeah, Clemson, that's not a game I'm looking forward to as much as a Carolina fan. Um, other than to watch how good Clemson is and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And if anything, if, if UNC goes three and one in the first four or something by some miracle, that'll be a nice reality check and remind us that we aren't quite there yet. But if, if UNC can just kind of hold serve and not get absolutely blown out by Clemson, that, that'll be a nice little moral victory. And unfortunately, that's what we got to go for with this team this year. Yeah. Cause state lost last. I thought state was gonna. Um, hang with Clemson last year and they lost, I think it was like 59 to 17 or something like that. So I actually lost like 50 bucks on that game. Cause I thought NC state would cover at least it was like a 17 point spread. So, um, never bet on state is the, the moral of the story. That's, that's a good moral to have, you know, once they, once they break into the top 15, like they did a couple of years ago, you got Wake Forest coming down the pike and Wake Forest is never going to not beat state or Boston college who, I think got their only major sport ACC win over state two years in a row in football. You just never know a state, but definitely don't bet on them. Uh, Jacob, what do you have coming to the site here coming up? Um, I, I really enjoyed this article and that's why we were talking about it tonight. Yeah. So I actually, I'm, uh, I'm currently communicating with Joey Lancelotti, the, the pitcher for the baseball team, because he's going to come on my podcast. So I'm going to interview him and get that up on the blog as well. As far as an article coming out, the last two or three I've written that weren't this quarterback ranking were um about receivers, Bo Corrales, and then oh, I can't believe I'm spacing on this. Um Daz Newsom. Oh Daz Newsom, I'm an idiot. Um <laughs> so I think I think I'm gonna do some defensive um film, maybe Patrice Renee, but probably just a breakdown of one of the guys on the defensive side of the ball after that Joey Lancelotti interview. I like it. And, uh, what, what's the name of your podcast so people can go look that up once it hits? Um, I'd love to cross post it on here. Yeah. So it's called Double Take with Matt and Jake. Double Take is two words. It's on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio and Audio Boom. Um, last week we interviewed Paige Kuhn, an editor. She's a college football and basketball editor for Bleacher Report. Um, about one third of the time we're interviewing someone either in media or an athlete. And then the other half is just my brother and I, um, you know, talking either pro or college sports, what's going on. A lot of soccer right now with the World Cup going on, as well as the Copa America. I like it. Yeah, actually, uh, there, there was a Copa America game in, uh, in Charlotte here last night that it was Mexico against somebody. I didn't go, but, um, I have been to a Gold Cup Mexican game before and it was a lot of fun. They called, uh, Every time there was a goal kick, they would uh, scream at the top of their lungs, puta, which apparently means bitch in um, in Spanish. So that that's my soccer story. Um, as for me, uh, I will be podcasting. We're going to come back and talk about whether or not last week's NBA draft was a good one for UNC and their national recruiting perception tomorrow, hopefully. And other than that, I'm sure I'll write something soon. Uh, Jacob, thank you for joining us. Go find him on Twitter at Jacob Cowden 28. Very entertaining follow. I, I can be found on Twitter at Chad underscore Floyd. I'm not quite as entertaining, but I don't know. I have my moments apparently. Thank you all for listening. Go ahead and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts on iTunes, 
Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Go ahead and leave us a five-star review. It will be read on the air just as soon as we see it. And until next time, go Heels.